on a new series is called Riding Elephants, and the premise is that if you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to have to grow emotionally. Sorry, <laughs> but that's, that's part of what we have to learn is that spiritual growth really sometimes is hampered by our emotional maturity. And what's the deal with the elephants and the rider? Well, you know, when I, I think we like to think ourselves as thinking people with feelings, but we're really feeling people who think. In other words, when a rider is on top of an elephant, who's really in charge? I mean, the elephant is 8,000 pounds. In other words, sometimes, you know, our emotions take us over. They, they flood us. And so it's a little like watching uh, Tim Mitchum walk his dog. You know, who's walking whom, right? And I watch him walk honey down the street, and it's like, whoa, all right. So sometimes that's, that's our emotional life. It, it, it kind of takes us in directions that we don't necessarily want to go with our heads. And so that affects the direction of us spiritually as well. We're going to be going through Paul's, a couple of Paul's letters, one to an individual, to his protege Timothy, to a young, uh, a young believer, and another to a young fledgling church, the Ephesian church. So this summer, riding elephants, spiritual growth and emotional breakthroughs. Today, we're going to be looking at fear. How, how do we rise above fear? And the answer, I think you'll see, is practice, practice. From the Word of God, 2 Timothy, Paul's very personal letter, most personal letter probably to, to anyone in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 1 through 8. Hear God's Word this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life of that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, bless us indeed this morning through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to experience it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. What is fear? What is it? Aristotle's got a pretty tight definition of it. Fear is the pain we anticipate from evil. Fear is the pain 
that we anticipate from something bad. I quoted Mark Twain in here maybe a year ago, this, this very concept. He said, you know, I've suffered a great deal in my life from some things, some of which actually happened, right? But that's, again, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes we are afraid of things that may or may not happen. And so we suffer needlessly, but fear sometimes takes charge, doesn't it? It takes us over. We don't want to admit it. Sometimes it's just this low-level buzz, that this nagging sense of something foreboding. How do we overcome it? Paul is in prison. He's in chains. Um, one of his disciples searched far and wide just to find him. And here he is reaching out in really his last season of life to someone who's youthful, but in whom he has great confidence and is placing great responsibility. But he also knows, as we see in his earlier letter, that he's young, that he's not as bold as he needs to be. And here is, here is Paul who's endured so many things. And I'm sure he's thinking, he's thinking, what is Timothy feeling? What's he thinking when he sees all that I've endured and now he's being called to take the baton from me? And so he's speaking courage into his life. What he's saying is this. We grow past our fears when we employ the gifts that God has given us for his purposes among his people. Let me say that again. We grow past our fears when we put into practice the very things that God has given you, given me, to put into play for God's people. So let's put it like this. Putting gifts, this is the sermon of the sentence, and then we're going to break it down. Put your gifts to work, starting with a single step to grow in your faith over fears. Put your gifts to work, beginning with a single step to overcome your fears with strengthening faith. So first of all, put your gifts to work. Put your gifts to work. Because here's the deal. The gift of the Spirit, the charismata, this is the word that we're going to have to look at for just a minute. We're going to have to get technical for a minute. But the, the gift of the Spirit, that gift, when you, you can't put it to work without also experiencing grace yourself. It's a gift of grace. The same word grace is the root of this word for gifts. Paul also uses it in Romans chapter 12 to talk about spiritual gifts. Let me just say it one more time so you understand what I'm saying. When you, you can't use your gifts for his people without experiencing more of his grace. And if you want to experience more of his grace, he's given you what you need to experience more of his grace and an increasing sense of confidence in his presence and sovereignty in this world. He's given it to you. The very grace he wants to experience is the grace he gave you in your spiritual gifts. So when you put them into practice, you put yourself in the position to experience more of his grace. I think of a coach when I try to make this connection between your practicing your gifts and your experience of the confidence and courage in his grace. You know, how, how do you make that connection? I mean, I, you, you might read that passage a hundred times and not make that connection. 
But Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he has a certain context in this whole letter. When you read the whole letter, you see what's emerging is he's trying to say, this, this, is, this is how you grow spiritually, is to get in there. Be active. Practice what you've been given. Practice, practice. I think of a coach, you know. It's hard to get people, it, 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 when, you, when you're coaching soccer, right, young kids, get them out there, try to do the rudiments, right? They just want to, want, what do they want to do? They just want to play the game, right? They just want to scrimmage. They just want to experience the thrill, you know, uh, of victory and agony of defeat. Whatever comes, they want, to get, they want to play the game. They want to at least scrimmage if it's practice. But you as a coach, you want them to do toe touches, right? You know what toe touches are? It's like you're sort of jumping and you're putting your toe on top of the ball. And, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd try, when I coached soccer, I'd try to get kids to do like 100 of them, you know? And they're like, oh, we really have to do this? What is the point of this? What, what's the connection between this? Let's, let's play. You know, that, that's what a coach hears over and over. Let's just play the game. Let's just play. And they can't understand that when you grow in, just in your awareness of where that ball is, that that's, that's one fundamental, rudimentary practice that over time will build your confidence out there on the field. You know where that ball is. You know, you, you know exactly where it is. You don't have to look at it. And then you can see the player, and then you can see the play unfold, and then you can see the big picture of what's happening on the field. And then because you've done thousands of toe touches, you know exactly where that ball is, and you can time that pass. You see? Maybe I'm pushing this illustration too far. But this is exactly what Paul is saying about spiritual gifts. He's saying put them into practice. They're not, they're not here just for you to say, well, you know, um, you know I'm just... Uh, you, you can think of all the list of spiritual gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 or, or, uh, or Romans 12. You know, this is my gift. Is it supposed to be like one of those, like, like a diploma you put on the wall? No. Practice. Practice, practice. He's saying, his argument goes, you know, something like that. It's sort, sort of like don't muzzle an oxen or an ox on the threshing floor. Have you thought about that? what that means? When, when, when an oxen is is turning the big wheel, you know, it's grinding, grinding the wheat. It, it's producing grain, right? It's, it's pushing it out there. Don't muzzle the oxen. Let, let him eat. Let him eat as he's working. And Paul is saying that's where you experience a growing confidence in his grace. That's where you experience a deepening of his grace in your life is when you practice the grace gift that he's given you, the charismata. Charis, grace, charismatic, grace gift. So fan it into flame, he's saying, among the people. Here's an example of what this looks like, I think, just to kind of warm it up a little bit. Imagine that you're building a shed in your backyard, all right? And, um, and, and some people would never do such a thing. But just, just go with me on this. Just imagine that you're building a shed, and, and you know, you've got, maybe you've got, you know, all kinds of help, but you, you build that shed, and you've finish it up and you're you kind of step back in the, the finished product and you're looking at it and maybe it's a potting shed or maybe it's you know you're just gonna house your lawn equipment or something you just kind of stand back you fold your arms you're like that's great you know and that feel that's a good feeling isn't it that's a great feeling when you finish a project and you step back and you just admire it you know it's like you know it, there's a little button you can 
press on Wordle. Anybody do Wordle where you just sort of press the button? It says, and, and it says, admire your puzzle, right? When you finish it, like, just like the button that says admire your puzzle. How long do you admire your puzzle? Like, like when you get a six, it's like move on. When it takes you a six, maybe you've never done Wordle. This is terrible. I shouldn't say this. But, but you know, it just you sit back and you see a job well done and you admire it, right? You're proud. You feel good about yourself, right? Now, let's, let's change the context. You're building a shed in Haiti, and a widow is going to live in it because an earthquake or maybe the recent, more recent hurricane ruined her dwelling, and it's a shed. It's 9 by 16. It's got three windows and a door. Maybe it's the first time she's had a locking door, and you realize this is, this is an incredible gift you're giving this person. You've taken your gifts, you've taken your strength, you've taken all that, that, that deposit of the spirit, the hope, the faith, hope, and love that God has given to you. That's all wrapped up. I mean, Paul's building a very sophisticated argument through this, 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 uh, th- this letter where all of grace is wrapped up in what we experience in the Christian life. And when we give it away, something different happens. So instead of standing back and clicking the button that says, let me admire this, you see something, you feel something different. You feel humble in a weird way. You don't feel proud. You feel drained of pride. You feel something open up in you. And all that you can describe it is is humility, of a sense that, that God used me to bless somebody else. And look at the gratitude. And her gratitude spills into your life. And you begin to find strength, greater strength, in the grace of God. Because you poured yourself out. You poured out what you had. And he filled you with more. You see how it's working? Don't muzzle an ox. Use your gifts. Practice your gifts. Put your gifts to work. And the same grace that gifted you will be the grace that fills you. You say, well, <laughs> but it's fear that's keeping me from doing it. It's fear that's keeping me from stepping out. Fear in general, right? Maybe uh, you're afraid of death. Maybe you're afraid of taxes. <laughs> Maybe you're afraid of having enough money to cover those taxes. Maybe you're afraid of missing out, fear of missing out. Maybe you're afraid of failure. Maybe you just have a generalized fear that, uh, that this world is chaotic and that things seem sort of topsy-turvy with the government or, or, that, uh, or, or that, that things are, are coming apart the way that you've never seen them before because you, you haven't seen the cycles. You're younger and you're, you're, you're watching what's going on in the Soviet Union and, and, in, and in Ukraine and you're saying, gosh, things aren't as stable as, I, as they were about you know, five years ago. Um, and you begin to just have this generalized sense of fear, and you say, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like I need to circle the wagons. I don't need to be stepping out. And Paul's saying, just start with a single step. Take a step. He's saying, you've been given a spark, a charismata, a, a little spark of the Spirit, a little spark, a little grace gift. Fan it into flame. Now, changing the metaphor here, just a, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. That's where you start. You just take a step. Years ago, Beth and I were 
at uh, Windshape Retreat. I'd recommend it. It's up on Barry College campus, and it's a, um, it's a marriage retreat. They've got a whole host of different kinds of retreats. Some of them are you know, sort of crisis intervention. Some of them are enrichment. Um, but we went, and um, we were just sort of surveying it, and we were going to be maybe recommending that some couples go there or maybe a group goes there. And so they, they, they called us to come there. And they've got a ropes course. And, um, and one, of the el- one of the elements of the, the ropes course is a tandem jump from a platform that's 40 feet in the air. You're roped in uh, to a trapeze where you both jump at the same time and grab the trapeze. And I just kind of casually said, oh, that'd be fun to do. And Beth said, <laughs> you know, it's... Things in theory and practice are very different, right? And it's like, oh, that'd be fun to do. And, uh, and Beth says, yeah, let's do it. And I just felt that little pit in my stomach, like, oh, man. I mean, I used to run a ropes course, but it had been a long time, right? And, uh, you know, you, you, you lose your sea legs pretty quickly. From, you know, and, and trying to stand, I mean, I don't want to be standing with my, my, uh, my sweetheart on top of a 40-foot pole, you know, shaking, you know, and she's... So and she's like all gung-ho, and she gets strapped in, and, and, uh, and, and she starts climbing this pole. I'm like, oh, I guess I, I, guess I have to do this. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, well, where, where do I start? And I remember the moment I said, well, just take a step onto the pole. Just take a step. And then I just committed, all right, I'm just going to keep taking a step until this darn thing is done, right? <laughs> and that's, cause I, that's how I felt about it. And uh, so that's what happened. Just took a step, 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 step. And um, then there we were at the top. And yeah, my knees are shaking. We jump out. We grabbed it. We, uh, we both grabbed it at the same time. It was so much fun. But it started not when the fear left, not when I stopped being nervous, not when I gathered myself and said, okay, let's get to a place where I can do this. But it just said, I just said, we're going to take a step. We'll take a few steps, and then another step, and then another step. Jonathan Haidt is a, um, I've mentioned him before. He's, uh, he is a professor at New York University. Um, he is being interviewed a lot by, um, by, by Christian um, podcasters and, you know, because, because he thought deeply about how emotions and the whole of a person work together. And one of the things that he's, in one of his recent books, his most recent book, I think is called uh, The Coddling of the American Mind. And when I saw that title, I thought of that incident at Middlebury College where uh, there was somebody who had written something that a lot of the students didn't like, and he was invited to, this is a whole cancel culture episode in just a few years ago. And he was invited to speak at Middlebury College, and, and the, the woman, the professor who invited him, ended up getting injured. Do you remember this? where she ended up getting injured by the, a, a mob of students who just didn't want to have him speak because they disagreed with him. Well, boo-hoo, you know? That's what, that's what Jonathan is saying. Your parents have sent you. you know, this, is what I, this is what I picture. If the presidents during this whole sad episode in our country of the presidents of these colleges where it was happening by like dominoes across the country had just said look not mocking i mean i'm sort of mocking a little bit but maybe not mocking that probably wouldn't work but essentially you know in a very 
diplomatic way, saying boo-hoo. I'm sorry that you're, you're feeling bad about this person coming. But you're stronger than you think. You don't have to be afraid of opposing opinions. You can hear this person out. And even if you d disagree with 100% of what he has to say, you will benefit from it. It will sharpen you. It will strengthen your resolve in what, or it may challenge you. It may make what you believe more complex. And you may begin to incorporate into your thinking some nuances that weren't there before. That's why you're here. And see, this is exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, look, my, my end is near. I mean, Paul is in chains. <laughs> he's, in a, he's in a hole. I mean, the way it's described in the, at the end of Acts, it's, it's like he's in a hole, and, and you had to get down into the earth to get to him. He's in a dungeon. And, it, and, and as I said earlier, it, it took him a while to, to find him. And he didn't know the end of his story. He didn't know the end of, of what he would do and how he would spark, how, uh, you know, how Paul would spark the, the church around the world. He, he doesn't have the benefit of hindsight. What, what must he be feeling? And, and, and now he's speaking into this young leader's life. What must this young leader be thinking? Oh, Paul's been flogged three times. He's been shipwrecked several times. He's, he's been in prison before. He's been insulted. And yet, here he is speaking in the last season of his life, knowing that death is near. And yes, he does know the end of his story because he knows the story. You see? He says to Timothy, I've seen your sincere faith. I've seen it in the heritage of your family. I, I know it's sincere. Enough that I've seen a gift in you and in the laying on of hands, that gift has been commissioned now for the church, for the people of God. Fan the spark into flame. Don't just receive it as an inheritance of tradition. Not just as a cultural thing. Not just as a pattern of generation to generation. You take charge of it. You take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. Beginning with your fear. Beginning with the way that practice, practice, practice. Helps you experience the grace of God so you can overcome your fears. And finally this. He says all this because he knows, because he's experienced the same thing. He has become so bold in his faith. Paul has. How did he get that way? You know, a, a young guy like Timothy might just think, well, Paul's just, you know, he's just Paul. You know, that's just the way God made him. He's just wired that way. He just, you know, I mean, he's older and he's been through the wars. And no, Paul's saying, here's how it's done. Take a step up the telephone pole. And you too can make leaps. He's saying, practice, practice, practice what you have. You have an inheritance. You have a deposit. We're going to talk about this next week in terms of hope. You have a deposit of the Spirit. And it's like a spark. It's like embers. And you're responsible to fan that into flame. 
Now I'm, I'm talking to you, listening to me. I'm talking to myself. Fan it in flame and watch your confidence grow. Do the toe touches and watch your agility begin to grow on the field. Experience an increasing pouring out of the Spirit in your life because you've put what, whatever He's given to you into practice among God's people. That's how confidence grows. You know, I, I, I hear every now and then, I hear, you know, I, I stand in Laurel Hill, I stand in a hospital room as somebody's dying, I stand with people who have lost someone, and I hear over and over again, I hear this same comment, and you've probably heard it too. What do they say after someone's dying? They say, I, I don't know how somebody could face this apart from faith. You've heard this. But here's what Paul's saying. Faith doesn't just give us strength to respond. Faith isn't just something that, 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 that kicks in to help us cope. Faith gives us the strength to take a step, to take initiative, to lead, not just something to fall back on when things go wrong, but to remember, this is all we have. This is what we have. Oh, it's so much bigger than it could be today. We can step out in faith and not just fall back on it. We can practice our faith and not just fall back on it. We can grow in the strength of faith over fear. And not just be subject to our fears when we're flooded with them. Verse 1. You go all the way back to the beginning. And sometimes we pass over this. Let me read it to you again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. By the will of God. That is incredible confidence. Has anybody ever written to you that way? Could you imagine that, right? What if, what if, uh, what if Tim Filson wrote that to you tomorrow? A little note. Timothy pastor of First Presbyterian Church, by the will of God, right? That's, that's confidence. That's real confidence. By the will of God. And then he says this, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Where is he investing? Where does he find life? Where is his confidence? Where is his faith? His object of faith is in him. A sovereign God. No matter what's going on in Ukraine, no matter what's going on in the market, God is in control. God is sovereign. Is that your experience? Is that your internal landscape? Is that your reaction when you see the news? God is sovereign. Such that you can take initiative in this world and spread that confidence. That you can... Come into the story, not to judge or not to, you know, when somebody's uh, upset or bothered by what's going on, not, not to sort of come back and be just put on a cheerful face and, and, and tell them they're not supposed to be upset. But are you bringing confidence in a sovereign God into the everyday moments of your life? I think of this incredible statement that a bishop made. And this is just sort of cap all this off, close up here. Uh, a bishop named Latimer in Oxford, England in 1555. That's not really that long ago. Before, you know, as, as Queen Mary, or she was called Bloody Mary, was, was, was beginning to, 
the, to, to, to close down the country again and, and pull the church in under her thumb and, and begin to, to, to her reign of terror and begin to control everything, some bishops stood up to her, and one was named Latimer. And he was speaking to, uh, to a, a fellow a pastor named Ridley. And they were being called out. And he ends up quoting from uh, a man named Polycarp, who was an early martyr of the church. And he says this, as, as they are about to be burned at the stake in Oxford, England. You can go to Oxford today and see the spot where they were burned at the stake for their faith. He says this, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. Now there's a twist to fanning the flame. It's a gruesome twist. But how powerful is it that people who have truly experienced the grace of God in these moments and put their faith to the test Bear witness to us. Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church. And so, whether you're suffering from fear of a lifetime, or whether you're entering into a new season where you're uncertain, where there are changes, or there's a diagnosis, what is the answer? What is the way to overcome our fears? Practice. Practice, practice. That you may experience sovereign God, a God of grace. Let's pray. Holy God, we praise you today for the powerful witnesses, the cloud of witnesses from history and from our own personal histories. Lord, come what may. We would not seek out suffering, Lord, but help us when we're afraid. Help us when we're uncertain. Help us when we're unsteady. Lord, to practice what you've given to us, that we may be filled again, not only with the grace of God, but because of it, a confidence in your sovereign watch care over all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.